0: Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to regulatory pressures to marketing strategies. The consumer packaged goods industry may be composed of diverse companies offering disparate products ranging from toothpaste to pet food to canned soup. But a recent survey conducted by the Consumer Brands Association reveals that 86% of CPG leaders place the consumer at the center of their worlds. And as such, they share many of the same fears and challenges. According to a survey of 28 CEO and top-level executives who are members of the Consumer Brands Association, which was formerly the Grocery Manufacturers Association, consumers held the most influence over the decision-making process of CPG executives. CBA argues that this makes consumers, not shareholders and not lawmakers, the de facto regulator of the industry. And yet, the survey also found that many of the top challenges that the CPG industry faces are not visible to consumers. According to CBA's Industry View 2020 report, the top fears keeping CPG executives up at night are how to maintain consumer trust, the threat of patchwork state regulation, sustainability, transportation and supply chain struggles, and the potential impact of the upcoming election on already strained international relationships. To learn more about the extent of these challenges and what CBA and industry players are doing to address them, I'm joined in this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Katie Dennis, who's the Senior Director of Industry Narrative at CBA. With 86% of CEOs ranking the consumer as having the most influence on their decision-making, it should come as no surprise that earning and maintaining their trust is a top priority for the CPG industry. And as illustrated by the survey, Dennis notes it's also a top concern.
1: Consumer trust really is the the currency of the relationship between the CPG company and the consumer. So I don't think it's surprising that when we were asking about what the threats to that trust were, that you've got the top three all kind of in the same family. It's all about, you know, reliable information or lack of reliable information. Uh, Misinformation was the top one, conflicting science or untrue claims. They all kind of follow the same semantics. And, you know, we live in an amazing time. You can get information in seconds. You ask Alexa, you have it on your phone. You have I mean, it's all at your fingertips. But the reliability of that information is sometimes questionable, and it's not hard for things to, you know, myths and things like that to just catch fire. Um, and I think for our industry, What we do is uniquely personal, you know, again, maybe not something you're thinking about every day, but these are the things that you put in you and on you, you give to your families, like you interact with them in a very meaningful way every day. So misinformation and untrue claims and things like that, that really is a threat to trust because this is stuff that is intensely personal to people. And I think the industry is very respectful of that trust and wants to be respectful of that trust. So when things that are incorrect are circulating out there, you know, that, that really is a threat.
0: As important as protecting consumer trust and cultivating that relationship is, CBA found that it's far from the only concern on top of CEOs' minds. According to the report, CPG executives ranked on a scale of one to seven, with one being the lowest and seven the highest. Their concerns about complying with a patchwork of state regulations as a five. Meanwhile, complying with federal regulations as a 4.52 and complying with California's Prop 65 and other disclosure regulations as a 4.37.
1: So I think one of the things that I thought was pretty interesting about the ranking is patchwork state regulations isn't a particular issue. You know, it's not about one single issue. It could be about anything. But it really does represent a bit of a problem. When you think about the fact that we are in every home every single day, the scale is really one of the things that matters a lot. Our ability to scale as an industry is what allows us to deliver things reliably, affordably to consumers. Patchwork state regulations represent a problem for that scale. So you can't make a different product for California that you do for Illinois that you do for Iowa. You know, it just doesn't really work like that. Um, And I think that's something, you know, you see it a lot with Prop 65, for example, when you have to design things a little bit differently. Um, there's labeling things, there's formula things, there's all sorts of stuff, but that can become prohibitive at a certain point. And I think the last thing that we want to do, knowing that this is an industry that makes everyday essentials, is have to remove a product from the shelves because it can't meet the requirements of something that's changing. If it's a smart regulation and it's a good regulation across the country for everyone, and I think you know what's unique about this industry, unlike any I've worked in before, is that they're not against regulation. Regulation is actually a really important part of the relationship of trust they have with consumers. Um, and I think that's widely recognized. But I think the regulation should be the right kind, the smart time, the one that's very thoughtful and is designed for consumer safety and well-being. Because sometimes I think, you know, we get a little out of whack on regulations and there's plenty of instances of that. But when we have like a good, smart regulation that's intended to protect people, then let's make sure it's one that's uniform across all 50 states. I think your example of Prop 65 is a good one because it's obviously one that everybody is familiar with and has been grappling with for years now. Another example, I guess, would be the GMO labeling and how that's handled. And we've sort of watched that evolve. But one that sort of seems to be bubbling up right now is CBD, which is wildly popular and wildly misunderstood. CBD is the ultimate example of patchwork regulation. It is wildly popular. There are people buying it like crazy right now. Our research showed about a third of Americans had, a, had purchased a CBD product, which is a big number. Um, and the thing that we found that we found really concerning is that 92% of them either assume or have no idea if it's federally regulated. And it's not. And I think that is the working assumption. Most people just think, oh, yeah, well, the government checks this stuff. It's fine. In the case of CBD, that's not true, and one of the things that we found in some work we did with a group called Digital Citizens Alliance is that a lot of the CBD samples and things like that that they tested were actually testing far below the amount of CBD they said they had in it, and in some cases, they were making claims that it was FDA-approved or verified and insinuating that that was the case, when it is not. At this point, the FDA hasn't taken it up other than within the regard of an approved drug. In the eyes of the federal government, this is still a drug, so it can't actually be looked at. Now, I think what we need to do is get to the point that it can be studied and that they can regulate it. That needs to be accelerated however possible, because these products are out there. People are buying them. People want them. It needs to be safe, and it needs to be regulated at the federal level.
0: Given the mounting pressures and interest in CBD... CBA recently formed an advisory board to guide the organization's work to enhance safety and oversight of the CBD market. It also recently asked Congress for additional funding for CBD research and oversight.
1: In short, we would like to clear the way to allow for research as the first step. Right now, there's a lot of things, a lot of reasons that you can't do the research. Either universities that sometimes do it, it's blocked because they won't allow study of drugs or, you know, it's not getting the funding that it needs. We think that it needs to be funded. We think that it needs to be studied and understood so that the FDA can be in a place to regulate.
0: Sustainability is another top concern for CPG leaders, according to the survey results, which revealed more than 9 in 10 respondents estimate that they spend more time on sustainability issues today than they did five years ago.
1: It's not lost on this industry that it's selling packaged goods. And those come inherently in a package. So making sure that those package the packaging is as sustainable as possible is top of mind. I mean, it's something that the first day I started, it was one of the big issues, and it has not let up, but I don't really see it letting up. There is a tremendous amount of commitment, both in time, concentration, financial investment that these companies are putting in to designing smarter, better packages, to setting really aggressive targets in terms of you know, recyclable packaging, compostable packaging, targets of using post-consumer recycled content. There's a lot of activity. I think the thing that we keep coming back to as an industry is no single industry can solve this problem alone. And that is the stuff that I think is really stressful um, when you start thinking about how many different groups you need at the table to get together for a solution. Because otherwise, it's everyone running off and doing their own thing. And while those are individually great things, we're going to be a lot stronger if we can get everyone around the table to come together, particularly when it comes to the recycling system. Um, that's something that our members have been very clear that they, you know, they want us looking at it. We need to get active in that. And we really have been. I think there's been some big changes on that front. Just recently, we launched the Recycling Leadership Council, which is bringing together diverse stakeholders to have a discussion about how we do this and to come up with an actual roadmap of a plan. So not just to talk for the sake of talking, but to have some actionable results that brings everyone together. We had six senators join us um, in the a couple of weeks ago to talk through all this stuff. They're very interested and invested in it as well. And they really need the perspectives from all these groups. We had our industry there. We had other industries at the table. We had NGOs. Um, it's really been an interesting and robust discussion that has to happen because right now our recycling system is failing us. It's 10,000 different jurisdictions, 10,000 sets of rules. It's confusing to consumers. We need to fix it. It's worth doing. And I think that's something that there's a lot of energy around right now. Of the 25 largest CPG companies, 80% of them are committed to fully recyclable packaging by 2030 at the latest, most of them 2025. Um, There's so much energy around it. But the biggest question that we need to answer is they're making recyclable packaging, but recyclable where? Uh, I personally live in Fairfax County where they don't take glass now. You have to drive it to a separate location. And it's just we've seen this all over the place where you've got individual items that they're cutting back on, in some cases getting rid of the recycling program altogether. This is not a solution. We're we're losing slowly, and we really need to change the way we think and understand what it's going to take to get there, and that's going to require – not just every industry at the table it's going to require funding and a cohesive plan i think the industry has shown that it is open to some form of financial investment what it doesn't want to do is write a blank check and i think that's the thing that's been a bit of a struggle we want to design a system that's going to work for the long term and create better end markets stronger end markets that you know work for everyone but we don't want to just do a bunch of band-aid fixes or patchwork solutions because you know that's not really going to Solve the problem. And this is something we, we absolutely have to solve.
0: Following sustainability, managing transportation costs is another threat that looms large for CBG companies. According to CBA's survey, one fifth of CEOs rated the likelihood of transportation costs as impacting their business as a six or seven on a scale of one to seven, again, with seven being highly significant.
1: I think when you say supply chain to the average consumer, There's some awareness that it's how things get from point A to point B, but the complexities that go into that are are largely hidden from view. And in part because the industry is so good at making sure they never have to see them. Um, When you look back at some of the transportation costs that skyrocketed, particularly in the latter half of 2018, it was something that, you know, for me as an average consumer shopping at a grocery store, I didn't really notice and I didn't see costs being passed on to me in any meaningful way. Uh, I actually started at Consumer Brands Association at the end of 2018, and this issue was raging, and it was the first I'd ever heard of it. And I don't think that's uncommon. I think most consumers don't get the visibility into what's happening. But it is a massive issue, and it certainly affects all sorts of things. It's the relationship with retailers, because obviously they're the ones selling the products, and it's the how do we find that balance? How do we make sure – that we don't have to pass costs on, that you know, we, we don't want to put added stress on people. It's it's a big, big issue that almost no one sees. And I think that's what's really interesting about it, is that it's something that is such a major focus of these companies, but it's something that is so invisible to the people they serve every day. Some of the issues around 2018 with the transportation costs going up have settled for now. I don't know that we've solved any of those problems, though. I think it's just kind of a matter of time before it returns. So even though it might not be the top issue that they're thinking about, it's still there in a meaningful way, and I think knowing that it's just a matter of time before it comes back. Um, 2018 was largely driven by a truck driver shortage and the costs that, you know, that was incurring as a result. But I think that's something that, you know, we We need. there are probably some policy solutions that can be applied to make it slightly better if we were to face that issue again. I think a good example of that is the electronic logging device regulations around truck drivers' hours of service. Um, They actually just relax those slightly to give a little bit of flexibility and interpretation because when you think about it, this is very mandated. If you're a truck driver and you're on the George Washington Bridge going into New York City, you can't pull like just stop on the middle of the bridge. <laughs> There's nowhere to go. But you would technically be in violation of your hours of service if you didn't stop. So, I mean, we need to apply a little bit of real-world practicality to that practice. We don't want tired truck drivers. We don't want that anything that's a dangerous situation. But I think there was some recognition that the hours of service intent wasn't necessarily delivered on the regulation as designed when it came to some of those things that are just sort of common sense. Um, So I think that's a good example of one way that, you know, we could probably formalize the hours of service flexibility, and that's a a smart step in the right direction. Um, But, you know, there's there's all sorts of different issues along those lines where we can start thinking about what are the small ways that we can improve the climate? Are there policy solutions to this? And that's something we're very mindful of and we've got an eye on for, you know, this coming year, next year. What are the kind of strategies we can put forward.
0: While industry can take steps to address many of these fears, there are some issues over which they have less control, including the potential influence of the 2020 election on trade. CBA notes that the CPG industry's exports have grown 148% in the past 15 years, from $41.5 billion in 2003 to $102.7 billion in 2018. This outpaced the growth in both manufacturing and total U.S. goods exports. And as Dennis notes, many industry leaders worry that this could become a risk factor depending on how politics play out.
1: I think that the political climate is something that factors into the day-to-day for every industry. Um, you know, you see the NBC obviously covers a lot of political issues the same way they cover business issues, and often they can be one and the same. Markets react uh, there's really, they're inextricably linked. I think in particular, it may have popped a little higher to the top just because we're off a particularly volatile trade year. Um, the, the policies, the renegotiations, the changes, you know, particularly when it comes to our dealings with China and then throughout the USMCA negotiations, you know, it's, it's been a lot um, for a lot of our biggest trading partners. Uh, when you look at, where our trade dollars go and where all that happens. A lot of the activity is concentrated. You know, Canada is a really big partner for us. Uh, Mexico as well, obviously China too. So all the activity around that, I think in particular was one of those political wins that we really saw, you know, hit the industry in a different way.
0: While CPG leaders worry about the influence of macro issues such as the election or international trade, they also sweat the small stuff. According to CBA's survey, attracting and retaining top talent at their businesses is also a top concern, especially as the low unemployment rate continues to place pressure on companies to offer more to their employees.
1: The industry employs 20 million Americans in some form or another, not all direct jobs, but throughout its supply chain and the people it touches every day. It's a lot of jobs to fill. You know, you've know, you really got to have an eye on your talent, not only attraction, but also retention. Retention is huge. We are fortunate right now to have record low unemployment in the U.S., and that's, that's a great thing. Um, I think with that, though, it really becomes very top of mind that you, when you get good employees, you want to keep them. So I don't think it was really surprising to see that at the top of the list. Um, That said, when you employ as many Americans as this industry does, I think it's going to be at the top of the list, even if the unemployment rate changes slightly. I think that's something
0: that we would just expect to see. Based on these results and other communications with its membership, the CPA plans on tackling many of these shared 10,000-foot concerns in the coming years. In particular, Dennis says that the association will push forward on streamlining key regulations, improving supply chain management, supporting sustainability efforts, and building trust with the industry and consumers alike. With that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope that you'll join me again next time for another installment. And to ensure that you remember, I encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive and profitable week.